I work for Microsoft leading the modern SELA team. Today, we have a fabulous conversation among some of my wonderful colleagues. We've got Beth Henderson. She's a senior attorney, and she is the pro bono lead for corporate, external, and legal affairs at Microsoft. We've got Megan Yoshimura, an attorney in the employment law group, and a fellow LCLD fellow. We've got Jen Scully, assistant general counsel for Microsoft's gaming business, a.k.a. the Department of Fun. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us today. Um, I wanted to start off with Beth. Beth, you lead pro bono at Microsoft. Is this like a, a commonly occurring job in corporates? It is not, Jason. Uh, as far as I know, um, I am only one of two people in an in-house legal department that has a role like this. So most corporate legal departments have the model that Microsoft had before I stepped into role about two years ago, which is have a steering committee of really committed, passionate people who do the work in addition to their full-time work and do great things and have great impact, but you know that can only take you so far because the rest of your time you're spending on your other work. So when Dev Stalkoff became our general counsel at Microsoft, she decided that she wanted to make pro bono one of her sort of key pillars of her platform and wanted to make a deeper investment in pro bono and decided that, you know, the way to start that was to have somebody full time enroll really driving and leading the program. And so I was able to step into role. Previously, I had been uh, chairing our pro bono steering committee in addition to working on the HR legal team where I focused on corporate immigration law. And so what that has allowed us to do is really you know, expand our pro bono footprint. We've been able to diversify the kind of pro bono work that we're doing. We've been able to get deeper engagement across the department. Um, and we've been able to start to focus on, you know, new kinds of pro bono projects, not just traditional legal services, but also developing mentoring opportunities or um, advocacy opportunities. And so it's been really exciting to see the growth um, that we've been able to do as a result of having this sort of deeper investment in pro bono. That is really cool. So, but I've got to ask, like, what does your job actually look like? What, what, what like, like the day to day of it? What are you doing? Yeah, so a lot of it is um, developing external relationships and partnerships with our pro bono partners. So Kids in Need of Defense, KIND for short, you know, has been our signature pro bono program since we helped co-found the organization back in 2008. And so I, you know, have calls with them, you know, identify opportunities for the department, figure out ways to um, deepen engagement across the department. And similarly, I have those kinds of calls and relationship building with, with other pro bono partners like Seattle Clemency Project. I know today we're going to talk about election protection. So a lot of my work is focused on that. You know, it's developing trainings, webinars for the department to get people excited about curated pro bono opportunities. 
Um, and, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into behind the scenes, creating these opportunities, laying the groundwork for them. Megan and I worked really closely together on developing the Dilly pro bono opportunity through which we sent teams of Microsoft volunteers to the Immigrant Detention Center in Dilly, Texas for, you know, one week at a time to support the women and children who are detained there. Um, that, unfortunately, has been put on hold because of COVID, but, you know, we have now because of COVID shifted to a remote pro bono model. So a lot of my work is focused on how do we ensure there's continuity of service to our pro bono clients and partners through Microsoft technology and other um, models. Um, and then, you know, a, in addition to that, there's a lot of operational work that I do. So right now we're in the midst of publishing our first ever pro bono annual report. So there's been a lot of work that's gone into creating the report, you know, drafting all of the content, getting that ready to go, creating um, a centralized SharePoint site where our employees can go to get information about various pro bono opportunities. And then, um, you know, there's a lot of external speaking engagements like this one, for example. So conferences, panels. Yesterday I participated. Um, Microsoft and Intel get together once a year and um, sort of share best practices, ideas. So I was able to speak on a panel there. So it's a lot of great, interesting work that I get to do on a day-to-day -day basis and helping to, to build and um, support the program. Okay. So this is a pretty serious leadership role and you're basically building a new business like all the motions that you just described where you're you know you're building relationships you're thinking about how you plug into the existing platforms like that's really cool so like what are what are some give us a, a sneak preview on you know what you might talk about in the pro bono report are there are there areas of focus that you're you're driving towards or outcomes you're trying to, to trying to land yeah, I think we're really trying to highlight the impact um, that our employees have had through their incredible pro bono work. And so, you know, we talk about our relationship with KIND and highlight um, a particular case that a team of employees worked on. We talk about our engagement with Dilly, um, the great work that Megan did to help get that off the ground, and then the deep, incredible engagement that we had through across the department um, for the four trips that we sponsored there. You know, we talk about the great work that Bill Hayden has done to um, develop pro bono partnerships and opportunities through the National Veterans Legal Services Program. Um, what we've done with Communities Rise, formerly know, known as Wayfind. So it's really sort of a celebration of all of the incredible work that our employees have done and in a diverse way um, and also focused on, you know, how it has not only delivered impact externally, but what it has allowed us to do as a department to come together to build community. There's lots of great photos of, you know, people volunteering together at our DACA clinics, people who might not otherwise get to work together in the department. So it's really showcasing all of the incredible benefits that come through doing pro bono work and, you know, recognizing the incredible accomplishments of our employees. So I think it's really important work 
that you're doing, but also one of the things that is special about how you're doing it is you are putting the effort to tell the story of the value that it creates, not just for the world, but also for Microsoft mm -hmm. as an enterprise. And I think that a lot of people, they, they think of Propono as a, that's a thing that's nice that you do for other people. And it is. It is absolutely, you know, pro bono publico, absolutely. But I think one of the things that's really been brought to the fore with your work is it creates a lot of value here for mm -hmm. us that has like real tangible business value. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to ask you a completely unfair question. What what about your job is hard? Like what is difficult in, in trying to, to make this new business go? Yeah, well, there's just incredible need. <laughs> um, and so when you sort of look at the problem statement and you see across so many areas of the law how there is this significant access to justice issue um, for a broad swath of people. Um, and it is so unfair when you see it. And the sort of the hard part of my job is knowing that um, I'm not going to be able to solve the problem or we as a department, as hard as we try, we're only sort of doing um, a bit to help uh, advance or address the issue. It's such a big meaty issue. And I think that's why I encourage uh, other corporate teams to try and invest even more in pro bono because it's not something that you can go at it alone. It really requires a broad community effort to tackle this issue. So, you know, that that is definitely a hard part of my job, just recognizing that there is so much significant hardship out there and that, you know, we alone can't address even, you know, half of it. Um, and I, I think, you know, the other thing is that, it you know, there's a lot of great work that's going on at Microsoft and people have a lot of competing interests and priorities. And so it, I think we are definitely making progress, but for a while it has felt like we've had this core group of people who do pro bono and they are committed and they do great work. But trying to get sort of beyond that and to really create this culture of pro bono across the legal department, it's hard. And I understand why it is when people have so much going on in their lives. Um, but the thing that is rewarding is that when somebody who hasn't done it before puts their toe in the water and it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I had this really amazing experience. And then they sort of the light goes on and they pursue it further. You know, that's that's really rewarding. And we're starting to see more and more of that in, in the department. It's it's slow. It's steady. Um, so I'm happy to see that. But there are definitely times where it's like, oh, why can't we get sort of more people on board doing this work? Well, I mean, that's why leadership that you bring to the effort is so critical because ultimately you're a catalyst, right? You activate people, but you even go a step further, right? You identified that this is a systems level problem. And even if Microsoft does our work, you know, with great excellence, the way that you create leverage is by showing other people the way. But you used a, a word I want, that I, I find compelling, unfair. And that I want to, I want to actually, uh, Megan. So, 
You had an experience that uh, Beth started talking about in in Dilly. Mm-hmm. And can you give us a little bit of the background on on what what did you see any unfairness uh, and and what did that look like and what was how, what was the experience for you going to the Dilly Detention Center? Um, so to back up a little bit about uh, to tell the story before I got there, um, the unfairness that I witnessed that kind that um, encouraged me to pursue the opportunity uh, was the family separations on the southern border that were occurring. And um, and I have talked about this in other venues, so I apologize. This is a repeat, but it's really important to me. Um, so the story to me, the family separation story and then incarceration after separation felt really personal. Um, to give you a little bit of my own background, my husband's parents are from the Philippines and I um, and my grandparents were incarcerated during World War II just based on being Japanese. And so for me, uh, it felt like give a different time, a different place. This could be me. This could be my family. Um, and so based on the unfairness that I was witnessing, um, my, my family and I decided that I would pursue going to Dilly and volunteering on the ground. Um, and I definitely need to give credit to Beth because I, you know, she's she's been my colleague for a lot of years at this point, And I was sharing with her um, my need to go. Um, and she was very supportive. And and I just kind of threw out the idea. I was like, hey, why don't I do some reconnaissance and just see if this is like a thing we can build at Microsoft, too? And she didn't, you know, she didn't shut me down at all. She said, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Wait a minute. So like, Beth, you've got these like pro bono entrepreneurs going out and like sourcing these opportunities and bringing them back for you. This is crazy. OK, Megan, continue. I'm sorry. I just had to call that out. <laughs> um. And to Beth's credit, you know, she we'd never done anything. I don't think Beth, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we'd ever done an experience like that before. And so she didn't say, well, we've never done that. That's impossible. She said, yeah, go do it. Let's see. Let's see what it is. Um, and so the actual experience of being there was super intense and really emotional. Um, and I uh, I worked mostly with mothers who had small children. And so I am I am a mother of small children. And so I could relate on a personal level with these mothers. Um, and there was a lot of unfairness. There was, you know, I, I worked with mothers who had been separated from their children, who had been recently reunified. And seeing the trauma on both ends, you know, there were children who would not leave their, their mother's side for a second to even go watch a cartoon on the television in the next room over because they were worried that they would come out of that room and their mother would be gone again. Um, so it was, um, probably one of the most difficult and moving experiences of my life. Um, but it was uh, one of the first opportunities I've had to have true impact on an individual and on an individual's future, um, and, and to see it in a tangible way. Um, so I was inspired by the clients that I worked with and I thankfully have never been placed in that same position where I have to worry about the lives of my children and my own safety. Um, but I, having witnessed them and their devotion to their children, and, and you know, I, I feel like I mirror that, um, I think I would have made a similar choice. Um, I feel pretty confident in that. So that's amazing. And I've, I mean, it's wild that this is part of your work experience your ability to go out and basically use your platform to go create that kind of good in the world is special and amazing. And 
I, I guess I'm, I'm just curious. What, how does that change your day job? Like, does it, does it make it feel different? Like, like, I'm just curious about that. I definitely view my pro bono work as part of my day job. Um, you know, obviously, like I have deliverables at work that are part of my like my actual core priorities that I need to deliver on. Um, but I always have pro bono work that I'm working on in addition to that. And it, it is just kind of part of my work life. And I, I am very lucky, like my, you know, you heard about my husband already, like he is super supportive of this as being like part of who I am. And so he's willing to pick up the slack at home so that when I do have obligations that take me to Texas as an example, or that I have to fulfill outside of normal work hours, like he's super supportive of that. I also have an incredible team, the employment law group, and before that, the immigration team, that should something conflict with a, a, a something that I have for work work, um, I've never had an, an issue with finding coverage. Like they, they totally understand like this is, this is part of my work. This is part of who I am and, and I need to do this work. Wait a minute, okay, so. Uh, that felt quietly revolutionary. Uh, so, so Beth, have you been weaving uh, more space, uh, shall we say, or maybe even credit uh, for for people doing pro bono work that does make it more integrated into the expectations of how we show up? Yes. So we do have a pro bono core priority um, for all of the attorneys in legal affairs, um, which is the group that rolls up through our general counsel, Dev Stalkoff. So sort of part of the um, initial strategy for creating this culture of pro bono um, that Dev had was to hire me so that I could lead pro bono full time and then also roll out this pro bono core priority through which we ask all attorneys and legal affairs to commit to doing at least 30 hours of pro bono service every year. And that maps to the Washington state requirement, which Washington of course is where Microsoft's corporate headquarters are based. So all attorneys licensed in Washington are similarly asked to commit to doing 30 hours. So, you know, Dev had this, you know, idea and it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, well, if you're already sort of doing this as an attorney who's licensed in Washington, you would, you aspire to do this, you should get recognition for it, you know, through your job at Microsoft. It should sit on the same level as your business priorities. You should, you know, have conversations with your manager about the great work that you're doing or that you plan to do and get credit for that. Um, and, you know, it isn't like this hard and fast thing like, oh, you're going to be penalized if you don't do the 30 hours, but it's rather like, you know, like the Washington aspirational goal, commit to doing this. If you do it, great. If you can't do it, get to it for other reasons, we totally understand. Do your best. But um, I think it has really helped create what Megan has talked about and given people that ability to not have to hide their pro bono work and not have to like, you know, be in the shadows with it, but to really bring it, bring it to the forefront and to be proud of the work that they're doing and get recognized and support for that work um, through the Microsoft, you know, performance evaluation process. So that's really powerful because what you've done is you've inverted the expectations, right? So if the old expectations were, well, 
get to pro bono if you can, because, you know, you've got these day job commitments. And now it's like, well, we embrace that this is part of how you show up as an attorney at Microsoft in legal affairs. And the expectation is that by default that you will do this because it has value, then that seems like it does start to, to change the incentives. And as we know, people do tend to map to incentives. So kudos, yeah. that's, uh, that's very clever. So can I riff on that? Yeah, yeah, build. On the, on the business value uh, for Dilly especially, um, and th- I have to give huge credit to Megan for being a pioneer and then for Beth to, to make that an even bigger program. I had uh, everyone on my team a few years ago wanted to do that opportunity all at the same time. And um, I said, yes, go, I'll just keep things going at work. You go do that together. And they uh, had a great experience. I mean, it's a very difficult experience, but they had a fantastic experience, meaningful experience there and came back. And as a team, they were more cohesive. They were more able to solve problems. They um, knew how to collaborate, and they—I guess—they just—they could—they could approach things with uh, calmness. Um, you know, compared to what they were dealing with in Dilly, the the problems of you know Outlook and Office 365, et cetera, are, are manageable. And so I felt like it made my team. Uh, more cohesive and brought real value to our team um, in addition to the pro bono aspects of what happened. So I think that there is business value and it's not just a nice to have or an add-on. Um, it actually is core to who we are and, and contributes to business value. Do you have any theories as to what it was about that experience that produced those outcomes for your team? I think it was uh, the high sense of purpose and um, common goals that they were getting out of the experience. Um, they didn't really have to wonder why they were there or what you know what the value was of working on that together. Uh, I think also just you know it was it was adversity always helps bring people together and um, it, it's a tough experience and they supported each other. So uh, I'd say I'd say combination of um, significance of purpose and um, ability to support each other that it just accelerated the team dynamic in ways that I'm not sure we could have ever replicated at work. Uh, So on some level, what I'm hearing is your team came back galvanized by doing righteous work. Exactly. And Mm. that that they did it together and helped each other in the process. Yeah, no. So that's, so one of the, one of the benefits of really hard problems uh, is it it puts you in places where you get to see how people operate. But also, I suspect that they came back with a deeper level of trust because they were in the trenches together with like crazy hard problems and they, they got to take the measure of each other and also learn like, what what can you do? Like, what are some of the hidden talents and capabilities that you have that I, I didn't even know about it? Thank you for opening up this, this vein, uh, Jen. This is good stuff. And Jason, I'll just add to that too. Um, the the level of trust that you you discussed, like it, it really extends. You know, I was involved in helping to future groups beyond the ones I went on, and and so I stayed close with those attorneys and legal professionals. And 
I'm a specialist, so I often will delve into product issues um, as a result of, of what I do in my day-to-day. -day. And when I see a name I recognize from Dilly, it's so much easier to reach out and say, hey, I have this issue we need to talk through. Can I have 15 minutes? The person I'm reaching out to is so much more likely to give me those 15 minutes versus shuttling me off to somebody else to deal with me. Um, and, and so I have found that it's far easier for me to do my job in certain situations just based on those connections that I've created. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Hold, <laughs> hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is, like, look, I, I'm sure every other organization on the planet doesn't suffer from these problems. But occasionally at Microsoft, things get a little siloed. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing is you now have this network of trusted folks that you can get to the place of truth really fast on to drive issues to ground and drive outcomes that is basically a result of the investment that y'all collectively made in pro bono. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> so maybe other organizations that want to be high performing should invest a little more in pro bono. Just, just throwing it out there. Beth? Yeah, and Megan, oh. Megan's experience is not unique because we saw that consistently with each of the four teams of volunteers that went to Dilly. The teams would come back and just sort of have this incredible bond um, and are sort of like lifelong friends and supporters of each other in this really genuine and authentic way that you can't really replicate in, in, in any other setting. And so... Um, you know, just to reiterate, it wasn't something that was just unique to Megan's, you know, group of volunteers. We see that consistently um, across the Dilly experience. And then also just, it's not just unique to Dilly. We see it with other pro bono engagements too. And I consistently hear from people like, I hate networking so much, but through pro bono, I've been able to develop these authentic relationships. And it feels more like, you know, building community and it's, doesn't you know feel fake or scary or and so I, I hear that consistently and it's just great to see these relationships that evolve because of people coming together to do pro bono work. That's amazing. And I I don't know that we often I don't know that we spend enough time really exploring the benefits that come back directly to the department and the company from these investments. At least I don't know that I have spent enough time really examining that. And I think you're you're really revealing something that sets out a pretty clear business case for why this is something that an organization that wants to be innovative, progressive, agile, like these feel like such strong complementary investments that we are benefiting from not in the future, it's happening now. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad you're here and, and doing this work. So what triggered this conversation uh, is, so Megan is, is one of the people uh, in, in my network. And so she's part of my information superhighway. And uh, we were, were, were having lunch, virtual lunch a couple of weeks ago. And she started, she started telling me about this crazy thing she's up to. Uh, and then she's like, oh yeah, Jen Scully. And I'm like, so like, okay, <laughs> Megan, Jen, like, what is this election protection thing that y'all have, have been up to? Me Megan, like, take us back to the start of the conversation and then throw it to Jen when it feels like the right place. Sure. Um, so 
I guess I'll start with our lunch, Jason. So I was just sharing with you um, how I was investing in the election. Um, and I had um, attended, uh, I think it was a learning lunch or something that Beth and Jen had organized about the election protection hotline. And, and Jen was really great about um, advertising it, honestly, because I, you know, I listened to the training and I was like, oh, that sounds fine. And then when Jen started speaking, and I don't want to totally take her all her talking points, but I'll, I'll just share one. She said something like, it's really nice to talk to people who aren't impatient for answers. And so they're, they're willing to wait for you to look things up for them. Um, and I was like, oh, that doesn't feel that stressful. I can sign up for a shift. So I'll hand it off to Jen now. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I still relate to that. Uh, just having worked on the hotline and saying, oh, I don't know the answer. Let me take a second to look it up. And someone was very happy to wait instead of uh, the maybe the more common Microsoft experience we've had sometimes. So what, okay, uh, what hotline? What, what, what is this? Tell me about this thing. Yeah, well, uh, so I found out about this through Beth's amazing communication uh, style and use of teams. Uh, often people ask how I find out about opportunities and uh, it's funny to me because I think well I have a pulse and I have access to teams and I follow channels and things are posted and I go do them or, or choose not to. Uh, so Beth does an amazing job on the uh, pro bono teams channel and she posted an opportunity for election protection and I had been thinking about what I wanted to do for the election. I had planned before uh, the pandemic, I had planned to um, go to a swing state and work in that swing state um, in the in the days uh, leading up to the election. And of course, with the pandemic, that was, you know, life has been canceled in some ways. And so I just was wondering what I was going to do to replace that and, and do something meaningful. And then Beth kind of handed this to me on a silver platter, putting something on teams, I went and investigated and it's such a great opportunity because you can do you can do something very meaningful uh, online and with a with a lot of support, which which is, uh, I think, unique at, at this time. Um, so I, there was a training. I did an online training that was very useful. And then I did a bunch of practice because the thing that's kind of interesting about that hotline is you have to have three things going at once, which it's good for your brain to do that, I think. Uh, but you have to have a, uh, you have to be using their call center technology. You have to be using a ticketing system because, as a part of, uh, you know, as a part of the process, they want to document what the issues are uh, with voters and what their questions are and what problems they're having. Because there was a Supreme Court case where. Uh, it was cited that there was no uh, real evidence um, that voters experience voter suppression issues and, and no one had documented that. So one of the, one aspect of their mission is to create this record. So that ticketing system is really important, although challenging for someone who's not used to doing customer service. And then you have to use all of their resources uh, for every state and every uh, voting law issue for that state and you have to respond in the moment. So it's extremely challenging, but uh, once you get over that fear and uh, I don't know, the being overwhelmed by that, it's really fun because it's just a bunch of problem solving. It's almost like a treasure hunt to get a call and, and have to figure something out in that moment. So I did the training. I've done some shifts on the hotline. 
There are more shifts now for um, the runoff elections that are happening in January. And uh, I, I believe, I don't know exactly how many shifts are open or that, you know, how, how much need there is, but I'm sure there, there is ongoing need. And even outside of the runoff election, just they, they operate all year, every year. I mean, there's always something to be done. There's always voter questions. Uh, they have things like working on briefs uh, for, you know, issues on the election. So uh, lots of opportunity there. It's a nonpartisan group, which is also cool. So doesn't matter who you are, political persuasion. Um, if you care about elections, which I think most of us do now, given you know record turnout this this year, um, you can be involved and and add value. And um, you know, again, I, I getting back to this idea of having a sense of purpose. I think during this time, and I, I mentioned this on the webinar too, that I do feel like we're going to be asked. And when we're old people and walking around with canes and everything, what we did during this time. And I'd like to be able to say I did something, um, you know, beyond baking bread and watching Netflix. And I felt like this opportunity was um, something I could be proud of talking about in the future. So I have to ask. Yes. Did you, did you get any interesting questions? Um, I really, most of my questions were about um, people who wanted to uh, vote absentee for the first time and also for people in early voting states to understand what, you know, when those dates were and where to go. So they were very run of the mill. I would say that I had, I, I talked to first time voters and not, you know, the people who had just turned 18, but people who had just never voted before and were very excited to be a part of the process, uh, which just was so inspiring. Um, and uh, yeah, just I, I wouldn't say anything interesting for me in particular, but when you're on the hotline, there's there's like a you have a cohort of other people who are doing the work at the same time and you all have this chat going. And there were some interesting issues they were facing a lot with uh, people who were overseas in the military, um, how their votes were counted. Um, who you could bring with you uh, for to vote if you have mobility issues or or other issues, um, you know, people who were denied I, their ID even though they shouldn't have been. So I, I didn't get them, but I saw them coming through the chat. <laughs> well, that highlights. Jason, I had a yeah, sorry, please. No, no. I had no. A, a pretty interesting question come through. Um, I was volunteering um, in the weeks leading up to election day. Um, and I, and that was also during the, you know, the start of the most recent COVID surge. Um, so I talked to a few people who had either been diagnosed with COVID or were being quarantined because their family had COVID. And one family in particular that contacted me um, was in Kansas. Um, and so they had pretty much given up hope, just given how strict the rules are there, that they could vote. Um, but I worked with that cohort that Jen mentioned to find the answer. And it was a really complicated answer. Like they needed an assistant to like go to a place to get a piece of paper, to bring it to them to sign, to go to another place to get the ballot, to bring it back to them. So it was this really convoluted process. And it took me probably 30 minutes to track down the full answer. Um, but at the end of it, they were so excited to vote and the fact that they were gonna, going to be able to participate in this election. Um, and so that kept me going through those long days of waiting for results for sure, so. Oh my God, that's amazing. 
I love that story. So the other thing that I find really interesting about what y'all did is it sounds like you were creating this collective intelligence. So Megan goes and works with a team. They basically sleuth the answer. But now the entire organism is smarter. So the next time that question pops up, there's it sounds like there was some kind of systematic mechanism of, of creating some hive intelligence. Am I, did, did I, am I misperceiving or it was is that happening? Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right, that everyone who's participating is learning about everyone else's issues and um, is getting smarter. And the other thing that I like that they did that they also used to do at the Microsoft stores, and I've wondered how to do in my own team is um, they had a they sort of they kick things off before you you get to the calls they have this this period of time where everyone is just talking it's it's like a staff meeting where they tell you what the hot issues are of the day what to watch out for what might be new and you know there were a lot of um, you know misinformation campaigns and flyers that were being sent in particular states for instance and you know what to do with those issues. And I, I really like that uh, format because, yeah, you're, you're you feel invested together. You're learning something together, and then even if you're doing your own thing after that, you someone has set clarity for you and, and common purpose, and then you can go execute. And I really like that. Also, it's just again, there's a there's a stress element to doing a hotline when that's not your usual job, and so having that time together was a, a way to de-stress a bit and, and feel confident in, in doing the work. So again, you're observing a technique in your pro bono practice that now you're thinking about how you're going to import back into your your kind of primary practice that's going to make you and your team more effective. That's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I see a pattern here. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think there is. There's a lot of value. Um, I mean, that's just an example of this kind of staff meeting idea that I've, I've been thinking about and, uh, you know, for a bit and then just to see how that works um, with uh, with the hotline. Uh, it just reinforced that. I, th I think there are many other things that we can take away from that that'll make us better at work. Yeah. And query whether you really are. So we have so many patterns that we get set in in our kind of primary work context that we often it's hard for us to kind of step out of that and gain perspective and spot those. And so I, I think there's something very special in the basically being snapped out of what you are comfortable with and what you know that really probably makes your mind work a little bit differently and be more receptive. Because I, I suspect like, you know, if when you are an expert, it's often harder to unlearn and try new things. And so the fact that you're not afraid to get like you're not an election attorney right but the fact that you were not afraid to go try that and learn something new is probably bringing you some one plus one equals three outcomes and that's pretty magical so beth i'm curious like are, what was the microsoft engagement on election protection like all up any any insights yeah it was great and this was the first time we had done anything like this i you know i knew this it was a big election this year i knew there were a lot of people in the department that wanted to use their pro bono hours to support an effort like this but it was really important to me to find something that was nonpartisan that wouldn't be viewed as taking one side or the other and so election protection it falls under the lawyers committee for civil rights under the law they're a you know nonprofit organization based in DC 
Um, and I was like, this feels like the right fit. And they also, of course, it's a remote opportunity, which was really important during the pandemic. Um, so we posted the opportunity in August. That's when Jen saw it, the team's post that I did. She was great, signed up, forged ahead. And then I reached out and said, hey, what do you think about doing a webinar for the department to talk about your experience and you can sort of inspire others to do it? And Jen is incredible. She was very pervasive, <laughs> persuasive. As Megan said, she was like, sign me up after she heard Jen speak. So and very humble too. Jen kept being like, if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> so. So it was great. We had a lot of interest after that. We had 25 um, volunteers across the department, which, you know, relative to engagement and other uh, pro bono opportunities is, is significant for us. And um, those 25 volunteers filled uh, 46 shifts, um, you know, from the point from August until the election in November, which is incredible. Those shifts are about four hours in length. There's also pre-training that you have to do. So all in all, we we as a department volunteered about 200 hours to support the election protection um, effort this year in a relatively short amount of time. So I'm, I'm really proud of the engagement that we had. That's amazing. And, you know, the stories really highlight that it has impact and it changes lives. We are almost, we're, we're actually over time, but I'm going to be greedy and do one quick ask of each of you before we, we cut out of here. And I'll start with Megan and then I'll go to Jen and I'll go to Beth. If you have a reflection or a piece of advice that you might offer someone as they're thinking about building a pro bono practice for themselves, is there something that you would offer them to think about uh, as they they start that journey. So Megan, if you wouldn't mind. Um, I would just encourage everyone to think about what their main cause is, like what their passion is. Um, our program is flexible enough that you can pretty much do whatever you want to fulfill your hours. Um, I've gone outside of Microsoft programming. I've depended on Beth to bring in great programs and, and diversify my practice. Um, and all of them have been really positive experiences. I've learned something. I've met people. Um, I feel better about the world afterwards. Um, but I think it all starts with figure out um, how you want to spend your time because this is you can create whatever you want out of this. Love it. Jen. Uh, I would say I would everything Megan just said, plus bring a friend when you when you do this stuff. I mean, we all are craving connection right now. It's a it's an especially challenging time to connect. So when you do find something that gives you purpose and uh, feels authentic to you to share that with someone else and bring them along with you um, and and double the impact, it's going to make you feel great. It's going to create a bond with with someone else. So so bring a friend. I love it. Beth Henderson, take us home. I would just say be reassured that there are so many incredible organizations out there. We've talked about many of them today. Kids in Need of Defense, the Election Protection through the Lawyers Committee, um, Dilly. They provide this incredible infrastructure. So don't you know go into this thinking like, well, I'm not a subject matter expert in this area. How am I going to handle this? There is so much incredible support that these organizations provide and mentoring along the way that, you know, you can do it. You have the skills. You have the skills that you can do this work. And then you'll get, you know, this incredible support from start to finish. 
That makes sense. I, I'm inspired by what you all do on behalf of all of us. And I feel really great about being your colleague today. And now I feel a little bit ashamed that I need to find a better way to contribute. And I will do that. And I really appreciate you all making the time to tell your stories because they are meaningful and they have power. And I think they're going to inspire other people to go out there and do great things. So thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thanks so much.